0: Go ahead and take your
1: speed up. Your number one now. We're like land, Green Dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of The Green Dot, a podcast coming to you straight from EAA headquarters in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. My name is Hal Bryan. I'm senior editor for the publications team here in Oshkosh at EAA. And with me on my left is...
0: Uh, Chris Henry, the EA Museum Program
2: Representative.
1: And sitting across the table is...
2: Tom Charpentier, uh, Government Relations
1: Director. So, uh, one of the first questions you probably have, uh, as we did, is why a podcast? Why should we be doing this? Well, number one, we heard that podcasts are pretty cool. Uh, people have been saying that uh, they're popular. They seem to be uh, gaining a lot of ground. And uh, it occurred to us that uh, this is a way that we can reach out to people uh, when you're doing things uh, like driving, taking a shower, whatever it is you might be doing when you couldn't read your magazine or fly an airplane or do these other things. So we wanted to kick off this first episode by talking uh, talking a bit about uh, a very, very broad subject that we think will set the tone for, for this series, and that is... Uh, How do you just get involved in aviation? We all know that uh, traditional career paths and things about Uh, Joining the military, uh, which of course is a very respectable path to follow, uh, serving and flying uh, for your country. Uh, Also airline careers and things like that. But the three of us are all rabid uh, aviation enthusiasts. We're all pilots. Uh, But none of us have taken that specific path. So we thought uh, we'd start out by talking about uh, our own experiences and talk about the ways that you can get involved in aviation uh, that uh, might not be all that traditional. So so Chris, why don't you uh, start off, tell us about your background. How did you get into aviation in the first place?
0: Uh, well, I was uh, lucky enough to grow up uh, on the approach in the Pittsburgh airport, basically. And uh, from a young age, I, I loved airplanes. I loved looking up, watching uh, them land and fly over the house. Uh, and I begged my parents to take me out to the airport. Uh, they did, and they found out we were having an air show. Beaver County Airport uh, was having its big air show just north of Pittsburgh. And uh, we went out to the air show, and that year a, a B 17 actually uh, landed a bit long and slid off the end of the runway and was damaged. And there's a small local air museum out there uh, that said, We're going to try and put it back together and restore it to fly again. Now, keep in mind, I was 12. And I think a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, uh, it wouldn't work out maybe for a twelve-year-old necessarily, but maybe it would. Uh, I was lucky enough to have a supportive group uh, that, when I came in and showed interest, uh, that right away said, uh, "We'll take them. We need all the help we can get." And you know, I started out pushing a broom and helping sandblast parts, but but I was working on a B seventeen, and it's certainly something that a lot of twelve-year-olds don't get a chance to do. Um, funny story was I came back that summer to school and. You know, your first day uh, first day at school, it's always, what did you do over the summer? You have to write a paper. And uh, I wrote that I was restoring, uh, helping restore a World War II bomber, and uh, I got a note sent home saying that I was making up stories about what I was doing. Over my, uh,
1: <laughs> and we uh, still uh, send those uh, notes to your boss I, today. I, I, Bob actually. Campbell gets them to me every day. Yeah, but <laughs> once a week uh, we round those up about the stories Chris tells.
0: And that, but that was that first step, uh, that first step. And I think it's a lot of times people stumble with, I love airplanes. I don't know what to do from here. And, you know, it's one of the things that I'm sure I'll advocate along the way is if there is a local air museum or something, that's a perfect opportunity to get in the door and, you know, start getting into the right company of people that can help you further your your aviation ad- adventure. And that's what happened to me was I started in there. The next thing I know, uh, EAA was having a Young Eagles day, and I got to go up uh, for a flight in a Cessna 170, and uh, it was all kind of, taken from there. I became an air traffic controller and now I work here at EAA. But it all stems back to that air museum and, and taking that first step with uh, a positive group of people and getting that Young Eagle flight that really put me in the right uh, direction.
1: That's great. Great. So Tom, how what was your first exposure to aviation? What was your first step along this path?
2: You know, it goes back so far. I'm not sure I could point to anything Specific, Um, my interest in aviation goes back probably a little bit farther than I can remember. But um, when I was a kid growing up, um, my dad works um, in technology, and uh, we always had uh, some of the latest computers sitting around the house. And one of the few video games, if you will, that was um, installed on those machines was uh, was Flight Simulator, Microsoft Flight Simulator. So I grew up uh, playing Flight Simulator a lot, um, and. Um, and, and kind of getting, uh, uh, you know, kind of geeking out on that. And actually, uh, Hal has a special connection here because starting with Flight Simulator 2002, there was a air traffic control feature, which (laughs) Hal actually recorded. Um, so, you know, more than probably, I guess, 10 years before we met, uh, I was, uh, flying around, uh, my little, um. You know, flight simulator airplane uh, with your voice in my headset, uh, my virtual headset, if you will. Little
1: did you know, <laughs> poor Tom around. had no idea what would happen a mere ten years later.
0: And now, today, I walk around with Hal's voice in my head all day as well. So I'm not playing flight simulator. <laughs> and,
2: and it was, and it wasn't just that. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't just a, just, just a, a computer geek that that happened to get into airplanes. It was, um, you know, I, I read the, I read books and watched movies and uh, didn't do model aircraft, but I did a lot of other stuff um, when I was a kid. Uh, Always had an interest in it. I think my academic interest kind of took me in a different direction for a very long time. Uh, But then after college, uh, the bug just kind of gnawed at me. And it was one of those things that, um, I don't know if any of you have had this kind of experience where Um, you kind of like semi-consciously go through the motions of of doing something where like I just, you know went to a flight school's website and started looking at uh, some of the options that were available and then like not really even being aware that I was doing it, I got on the phone and, you know, uh, <laughs> started asking for information. And then, again, not really realizing that I was doing it, I uh, was on a train going to the airport. And, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, about a year after that, I got my my, my, pilot, my private certificate.
1: But uh, since that time, you've learned to pay attention to what you're actually doing, especially when you're in the cockpit. About just say yes, Tom, yeah. just okay. say yes, Tom. Just say yes. Now, is if I recall correctly, for neither of you guys, you didn't really have, uh, like your parents didn't fly, you didn't really have an aviation background, in their families, is that correct?
0: I had uh, an uncle that flew helicopters in Vietnam, um, but he didn't really talk about it. And as a matter of fact, I didn't find it until later. So no, aviation uh, was not something in my family. As a matter of fact, that was kind of one of the things I had to deal with because my family... At first, really couldn't understand that. I, in Pittsburgh, it was kind of like we well, need to go get a real job, and what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you're, you can't make money doing that. And so there, there was a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a barrier there where I had to sort of, you know, show them exactly what I was doing with aviation. And once they they saw it as as uh, something that was really good and uh, and educational, I mean, they got on board. But uh, yeah, at first, there was a little bit of a disconnect with what I, what I was doing.
1: Sure. And Tom, for you? Was it?
2: Yeah, my, my, um, my parents have always been supportive of my interests, but, uh, but neither of them uh, are pilots or really involved in aviation at all. We, we did have um, one family friend who actually is going to be coming to Oshkosh for the first time this year for Air Venture. Oh, cool. Um, who uh, was a Pratt & Whitney engineer. I grew up in Connecticut. Uh, and, um, and then when I was in high school, I had a, a friend who uh, went through his pilot training with the Civil Air Patrol. Um, and uh, he actually flies jets for the Navy now. Um, but uh, that was actually kind of one of my first exposures to, oh, you know, you can actually do this. I mean, people actually do get their pilot's licenses and fly. So it was important having those examples of my life, but no, my, my
1: family was not involved in aviation. How I understand yours were, though. Well, that's, that's what's always fascinating to me because uh, in terms of uh, sort of growing up around aviation, I mean, I – I have to begrudgingly admit, uh, as the baby of the family, my my older brothers were right. I was absolutely spoiled, rotten. Uh, Both my parents worked for United Airlines. They met in 1959 on a DC-6. He was the captain. She was the stewardess back then. Uh, Then they got married. She had to quit because you couldn't be a married stewardess in the late 50s uh, working for a major airline in the U.S. And uh, So I'm a second-generation pilot. I've grown up around it uh, from age 8 to 18. I lived on a private airstrip out near Seattle. flying a, a family airplane, a 1944 Cessna T-50, the Sky King Bamboo Bomber, if that uh, resonates with some people out there. Um, so there's literally airplanes in the yard uh, growing up. My first airplane ride, I believe was about six months old. It was in the Family Friends Bonanza. So it's always been around and, and always been part of my life, and I cannot conceive of, uh, of a world without it. I um, you know, did a little bit of ultralight flying as a young teenager, and since that time, whatever, uh, wherever my career has taken me, or my many careers, as I've got career ADD, um, aviation's always been some, uh, some part of it. Tom alluded to this a minute ago. I, I spent uh, about 15 years at Microsoft out in Seattle, spent 11 of those years working on the flight simulator series, which was a lot of fun for somebody who's a, both a techie geek and a complete airplane nerd, um, even though it, it's interesting to me as in my real flying life, I'm uh, much more of a, uh, my tastes are much simpler. I'm into the sort of antiques and classics uh, and things like that. Anything that's old and unusual, weird even, an airplane without an electrical system, I'm, I'm perfectly happy and I'm right at home. Um, but for me, it was just something that was always around me. So you'd think it was it was an absolute foregone conclusion, and yet I've got two older brothers, one of whom with no real interest in aviation, and the other who's... Uh, particularly focused on sort of military and airline aspects of aviation as a hardcore enthusiast, but not any real interest in, uh, in flying himself. So I guess you, you really never know. But for me, the passion has been there since, you know, since probably the womb, frankly.
0: I'm, uh, I'm jealous of the bamboo bomber time. That's that such a cool airplane.
1: <laughs> well, it's still in the family, and it's sort of being re-restored right now. And so one of these days it'll come back to Oshkosh. It actually brought us to Oshkosh my, uh, the summer I turned 21. My dad and I flew it uh, here. My first trip to Oshkosh, uh, 1989, and we had a gathering of uh, bamboo bombers here. If those don't know the Cessna t fifty it's uh, if you can picture a twin beach but a little bit smaller with a single tail or something like a baby d c three that seats about five people. Cessna built them in the uh, starting in nineteen thirty nine for the civilian market and then all but about the first fifty were pressed into military service as u c seventy eights or a t seventeens et cetera used for training and liaison work but anyway, uh it' was a wonderful airplane to grow up. Flying, you know, very classic. Just about anybody who went on to fly B seventeens or B-24s, maybe not just about anybody, but a lot of those guys would have gotten their multi-engine ratings in these airplanes. So uh, for me that sense of history was was always a piece of it. And that uh that translated to all of my interests in aviation and and the ways that I sort of indulged that, whether it's reading books or watching movies, you know, going to museums, all that kind of thing. That's always been um, I've never been content to just say, you know, I'm going to go fly a Cessna 172, a wonderful airplane. That I've got a lot of time in. Um, but I can't just say, I'm going to go fly this 172 and never give any thought to the airplanes that came before or the history that led to it. I always want, I'm someone who always wants to go deeper. And, and boy, for somebody who loves to learn, and I think that's true of all three of us, uh, my friends and colleagues, um, if you love to learn, boy, aviation is just endless it's limitless
0: oh absolutely I, and i've learned a lot just walking in the door here you know where i came in here and, and 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 knew a decent bit but uh it's been like drinking from the fire hose here and my once again like you said my friends and colleagues have pushed me uh to continue to learn more just in conversations and airplanes that i never thought i would give you know a second thought to suddenly i'm delving into the history and the designer and some of the pilots and uh, so I definitely think once you get into an atmosphere like this uh, you know there's a camaraderie that almost pushes you to keep learning and keep uh, sort of researching different uh, aircraft and stories and history.
1: Right. And I think we see that camaraderie extending in a big big way. I mean we're you know once again my my life continues to to be spoiled rotten but uh, we have the luxury of being surrounded by it with friends and colleagues here at work. But out there, sort of in the real world, um, you know, there's there's we have nearly a thousand chapters of EAA uh, that are out there that uh, that I think create that same sense of of camaraderie and fellowship and mutual encouragement.
2: Yeah, I think um, you know, there's a lot of ways to be involved with aviation. You don't necessarily have to be a pilot. Um, there, we have I and mean, we have chapter presidents out there who uh, who don't fly who are incredibly influential in the uh, in, in the chapters that they run. Um, for me, I definitely did want to be a pilot. I did definitely want to fly. And um, I learned to fly at Fitchburg Airport in Massachusetts while I was uh, uh, working um, my first job in Boston. And um, I didn't have a car back then. I I could have had a car, but then I wouldn't have had any money to learn to fly. So, you know, you have to have your priorities right. Uh, So what I would do is I'd take the commuter train out to uh, Fitchburg on weekends, and um, I'd take my bike on the train and then bike to the airport. Um, And my chapter there was incredibly helpful. Uh, in um in in pushing me along uh there was kind of a pipeline that was established between the flight school and the chapter the the, the flight school would would actively encourage people to move over to uh to the chapter and uh you know for a uh, broke you know, 20 something just coming out of college, uh, having, you know, an environment where, you know, we would go fly out for dinner, uh, on a weeknight, or we'd go, uh, do something cool on a weekend and being able to just tag along in some of those trips, uh, was, uh, was great because not only did it give me the experience of seeing how other pilots fly their aircraft, seeing how other, uh, um, seeing, you know, uh, learning from from people who have who have done that before and kind of getting free flight time even if, even if I'm not touching the stick um it also gave me a, a, a glimpse into what waited for me after I got my my certificate why this was worth it why this is so fun uh so my chapter was was really amazing and i'd encourage anybody out there uh who's who's interested in uh in aviation and particularly interested in uh, either learning to fly or learning to build um that kind of thing to get to get involved with your chapter
1: right absolutely and you, you just mentioned learning to build, and it's always been, uh, it's been fascinating to me um, as I've done some, some traveling, working, writing stories for Sport Aviation and, and things like that, uh, Sport Aviation Magazine, for those that may not know, and uh, seeing some of the, uh, the groups that are out there, and there's, there's a number of them all over the country, I know of some in Canada, things like that, that uh, have programs set up for young people Become like in high school age kids and uh, some maybe even a little bit younger, um, where you you can build an airplane and and maybe even get class credit for it. Um, like our own uh, Brett Steffen, I know, was involved in in, a, in some projects like that, and we've uh, we've tried to support and shed light on those projects as we see them. Um, even uh, even as much aviation as I was sort of wallowing in as a kid with my my lucky background, living on an airstrip, you know, there was nothing like that. Uh, in the you know late 70s, early 80s when I was uh, coming of age, certainly that I was aware of. So it's amazing now to see that uh, for a younger person who wants to get involved in aviation, there's a lot of really good hands-on opportunities.
0: There's a, uh, there's a chapter out in Billings, Montana, that's building like their third or fourth airplane, I think. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because they do get credit in their high school classes. Uh, I th- want to say maybe a science class. Uh, but, yeah, they're building, like, the third and fourth. And it's interesting because it's actually more, uh, you know, traditionally I think we think aviation. A lot of times we think of more men being in aviation, and certainly there are, are a lot of men in aviation. But uh, the class is actually mainly women, uh, The women high school students out in Billings that are, like I said, I think they're on their, like, third airplane that they're building now.
1: All right, that's, just, that's fantastic. It's that's so cool to see that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, Tom, you touched on something a minute ago that uh, – uh, that I think is really, it's really interesting. The, you know, the, the, the three of us, in spite of our different backgrounds, you know, we're, we're cut from similar cloth and that we, you know, we, we had the interest from either a very young age or, you know, birth, <laughs> maybe in my case. Um, and it, uh, you, no matter how, how much is handed to you, there's obstacles you've got to come over, you've got to fight for it, but we knew it was worth it. And, uh, and we've, we've, participated our, our, in a, throughout our lives in this, uh, in this aviation world. Um, and somehow deep down instinctively, all of us knew that we wanted to do this. We wanted to be involved. And, um, you know, Chris, you had that B-17 flight. Tom, you had your early exposure with the flight simulator. Um, and thank you for being a customer, by the way, of my old life. And, uh, um, and then, as we all we all moved on and got into got into flying ourselves and we we knew uh instinctively what it was, but then Tom, you had said that it was helpful for you it was it was even more inspirational to see what you could do once you'd gotten over that hurdle you'd gotten your, once you 'd gotten your certificate. oh, wow, it really does open this whole new world so you know so I wonder what do we say? What do we say to somebody who is walking down the street and an airplane flies over and they they look up in a small airplane and say, "Oh, that looks kind of cool," and then they don 't really give it another thought they they 've got that interest and i I am convinced in spite of people that are afraid of flying, I am convinced that viscerally deep down in every single one of us there 's some desire to fly that' it's a very primal natural thing. But what do we say to those people who who look up and say, "Oh that looks like fun and then and then move on? How do we convince them? Uh, they should they should get involved in that. It's worth it, and that uh, that it's easy, sort of.
2: <laughs> well, I think this is a really important question, Hal, because um, you know, I think maybe in previous generations when they were growing up, um, there was aviation was cutting edge was the cutting edge technology. We were going to the moon. And we were, you know, we, we, were, we, we were flying in, uh, you know, we were flying supersonic. Almost uh, uh, every major, a lot of the major technological advances back then were directly related to aviation. So um, it, it was just kind of taken for granted, I think, that it was a, a very um, exciting thing, a, a new thing, an adventurous thing uh, to do. And I think we've lost that now. I think we really take it for granted. Most people's exposures to airplanes are, um, you know, the airlines, right. which is a horrible way to experience aviation for the first time, <laughs> uh, in my humble opinion. Um, so I think, I think it is important that we go back to uh, kind of the roots of why we do this and why we all... Enjoy doing this and find it so rewarding for all of the sacrifice that all of us have to you know financially and otherwise to uh, to, to pursue our our passion here um, I, I, I think we need to go back to that okay so my pitch and uh, maybe this gets a little bit a little bit uh, heavier a little bit philosophical for a podcast but um,
1: uh, Chris, we should scoot our chairs closer to the table. <laughs> yes, I'm for on this. my way over here. And uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's fasten our seatbelts. <laughs> uh,
2: think uh, and Hal, you kind of touched on this a little bit um, as a primal desire. Think of any technology that we have today. Think of your cell phone. Think of your car. Think of um, anything that we that that we currently have. But what is the one thing that we have? been able to do fairly recently that has been a universal desire of humankind going back pretty much to the point that they were the first humans. They looked up at the sky and they saw birds and they thought, what would it be like to do that? Couldn't I, you know, what an amazing thing to be able to do that. Right. And just within the last hundred years or so, have we actually been able to do that?
1: Well, and if I could interject just yeah. quickly, I don't want to get you off track, yeah. but uh, when you think about the the percentage of time uh, of, of like all of human existence and you thought he was getting deep <laughs> you think of the all of human existence, the percentage of time in which we have been able to fly and it's it 's infinitesimal and as uh, a slice of history and the fact that uh, that that all of us are lucky to be alive to have been born at a time you know after as as the Wrights put it after the flying machine problem had been solved is amazing. <laughs>
2: It, it really is, and um, I don't know, maybe it's one of those things that you either get it or you don't. Um, uh, you know, every every time I, I go flying, you know, on a, on a beautiful calm morning, or a uh, or just, just a, a gorgeous golden evening, um, it is, uh, and I guess every other part of the day too, but <laughs> I'm reminded how special it is and how much yeah. of a privilege it is, and... It's something that I guess uh, I, I I take as, as as a as a matter of faith, and and maybe uh, maybe that's not something that connects with everyone, but I I think it, I, I think it does, and I think we just need to remind people of that.
1: Absolutely. What do you think, Chris?
0: I think that if you're out walking around and an airplane flies over, and you look up and you give that airplane a few seconds of thought, I think you automatically have that initial interest. You're given some sort of thought as to the design of the airplane or what it's doing and I think the biggest challenge is that first step, that next step and I think a lot of times people you know it's they don't know where to go and or how to take that next step and um, or if they can. A lot of times I think people think that it's too hard or there isn't a place for them and there is. I mean there certainly is uh, I guarantee you that just take that step and go out to your airport FBO or to your local air museum, uh, your local EA chapter, you know, whatever is close to you geographically, and take that first step in moving forward in this and just see where it leads you. Uh, and I, I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. I mean, I, I I shudder to think what would have happened if I never went out to that airport to... You know, beg my parents to go out and see that airplane, and, and that was that first step, and uh, it's an important one because once you take it, um, you're you're just in for a great adventure, no matter where you are or what avenue you're going.
1: Right, you know, there's an old cliche, and I, I or I think it's a famous quotation, and it's so famous that I've uh, forgotten the specifics and yeah. who said it. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, it's uh, you know talking about something like 90 percent of the battle or of the effort is just involved showing up and i think that's uh oh absolutely that's what you know that's what both of you guys did um a little bit different for me when all i had to do was like stand up or wake up and and aviation (laughs) was right there uh, all around me um but uh but you you still have to have to work but there's been you know there's really no other endeavor in my life uh that uh that is as rewarding of the effort, uh, you put into it. Tom, you talked about, you know, flying, you know, during sort of the, the golden hour, the sunrise and sunset, no, yes, all the hours before and after and in between. Um, you know, for me, I, I, uh, I, again, my turn to get uh, a little philosophical, but, uh, for me, I've never, uh, felt comfortable calling myself right-brained or left-brained, one or the other. I've got both of those sides. Um, consider myself a fairly creative person and have some of their sort of right brain attributes, um, you know, and I'm certainly uh, an emotionally sensitive person and all these sorts of things. And one of the things that I've, I've always been drawn to about flying is certainly the romance of it. I love, you know, put me in an open cockpit biplane at that golden hour you're talking about, Tom, and then let me shoot some landings uh, onto the grass, uh, some out of the way place, and I am in absolute heaven. But, you uh, the other side of me, the left brain side is, uh, you know, is kind of a gadget nerd into technology and things like that. And flying is really the only thing I've ever come across that, uh, it sort of, it captures, holds, rewards my attention and seems to feed both sides of the brain equally. You know, it's kind of my left brain that, uh, that has the, the skills to, to make the flight and to talk on the radio and to navigate and figure out where I'm going and interpret the, the instruments and things like this. And then it's my right brain that's, that can't get enough of the view and the, the feeling. Um, And, uh, and I'll say it again at times, even the, uh, the actual romance of it.
2: It's an incredible exercise in self-reliance, I think. absolutely. I think it's, you know, anybody who's, ever take an airplane up solo that is the first thought that goes through your mind as soon as you break ground is my my very existence on this earth from this time forward is entirely dependent upon my skills <laughs> and uh, and, and, to, and to complete that is is an incredibly rewarding experience
1: absolutely
0: my first solo i remember was a cherokee 140 out of beaver county and uh I remember taking off. First off, thinking, "How did I fool these people into thinking I can fly this airplane?" <laughs> and uh, you know, but I remember taking off, and we headed north and up there solo. I just remember, th- I, I as cheesy as it sounds, I, I felt like Lindbergh or something. I'm like, "Wow, this is how many people never take the steps to, in order to get here," and and yeah, it was just this amazing. I felt like I was going to go cross the Atlantic, even though I was going like ten miles north and back, you know. But but it was just amazing that. Um, there 's just this feeling that especially that first time that just how free you are and uh, once you get out over the little nervous bumps and things like that it's uh, uh, it 's a feeling that i, I can 't describe, and I know you guys know the same thing it it's uh you, you just got, have to go out and experience that because it's it 's seeing the world a whole new way that 's for sure
1: absolutely you know, and we talked at the beginning about all the different ways to participate uh, in aviation. And you know, at the end of the day, for all of us, it does come back around to actually flying. Even though uh, we all celebrate it in so many ways, whether it's going to museums or or, or working on a project, building an airplane—something we're going to talk a lot about uh, as this uh, podcast continues. Um, reading books, watching movies, anything—just uh, sometimes looking at a cool picture of an airplane and just thinking about how much fun would that be to fly. But it really does all lead us down that path to actually getting into the airplane and uh, and taking off. Um, speaking of uh, of taking off, it looks like we are, are just about finished with uh, this very first episode of The Green Dot. So we do want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, if you have any comments or questions or feedback or ideas for future episodes, uh, you can email us right now. We can use feedback at EAA.org. Send in, uh, send in your thoughts. And with that, uh, uh, either of you guys, Tom, any closing closing words?
2: Uh, no, other than um, look forward to, uh, to working on this project as, as it goes along. I think there's a lot of potential here.
0: Yeah, same here. Absolutely honored to be here and uh, good to see you guys and be r- right next to each other and talk airplanes, which is uh, something we love to do.
1: Well, I know uh, all three of us had fun, and I hope uh, that people listening did as well. And we'll see you next time on The Green Dot.